Worst Show Ever. I'm your host, CJ Boyd. I'm hanging out with Matthew Shelton in his apartment. Mary is here uh, as hey. well, hanging out. And Simone, the cat, is chilling very, very peacefully. And then there's another kitty running around, but who maybe is not going to be joining our socializing, Albert. Simone's a band practice kitty, too. She, okay. she hangs out for everything. Good deal. But we're in Chicago. I don't think I said that. We're in Ukrainian Village. Is that mm-hmm. where we are? Yeah. And I just played a show last night. Matthew, somebody we've played shows a few times in the past. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your your worst show ever. I saw your announcement of the podcast, and just immediately, even before you asked me, I thought, well, what would I talk about? <laughs> I'm hoping that the the, the, post, the Facebook posts are doing my yeah. my uh, job for me as far as getting <laughs> getting people involved. And I would imagine most people see that and they're like, oh, I want to do it. You know? <laughs> I got plenty of things to bitch about. Yeah, get at me. Get at me. <laughs> and the first thing that came to mind were... And these these don't make for good stories, but I'm sure as a road dog, you know, of, like you book a show just because you need something, but it's iffy, and then you get there, and they're just like, we don't even have music here. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, you know, it's a Tuesday night. If you want to come do it, I guess. <laughs> right. Like yeah. those shows where you sit around for five hours and then not, you don't even wind up playing. I, that's not even a show. That's just a bad experience. But yeah, <laughs> that's happened a, two or three times. Time. Yeah, Indianapolis, I, and then this metal place in the middle of Tennessee. Okay. It's just like this is going to be less painful just to not play. Okay, and I'll play anywhere, but <laughs> I'll waste yeah. my time anywhere. Yeah. But, <laughs> <that's> a, <laughs> The funny thing about musicians, a lot of us will just play. They're like, oh, I guess I'll play. I mean, I I think about it a lot in terms of when I first started. I, I can't even call it touring. When I first started traveling with an instrument, uh, where I didn't know anything about booking, and so I would just, I would just call a place and ask if I could play there. Yeah. And it was usually like coffee shops or bars. And yeah, that exactly what you're like. Where they're like, I mean sure <laughs> it's not against the law <laughs> yeah, like no one will stop you and it's funny because other places are like no no we're doing a thing here that has nothing to do with your music and yeah. no thank you but then places where yeah, yeah, sure if you want to do and that. you take your chances I mean I've had those things work out where you're a hero for the night sure uh, yeah I feel like that definitely happens and yet we tend to remember those ones more than the far more <laughs> it's it's one of those things that people say like well you never know sometimes you don't promote at all and the show's amazing yeah. and then I think <laughs> yeah but usually it's not <laughs> like most of the, like that that fluke does happen but usually if you are playing in a place where nobody cares about the music and you don't promote and there's no other bands on the bill it will not be amazing <laughs> most of the time <laughs> or if it's crowded it's because there's a bachelorette party or something <laughs> yeah prefer to play for the sound guy and the bartender <laughs> right uh, i guess i'll get into my story though i think it's a uh, 2009 ish okay. uh, i had a band called matthew shelton's picnic uh and i guess i was starting to get comfortable as a band leader um just i'm a late bloomer in a lot of ways uh but i was 
just feeling a confidence and it helped that the musicians were so good. It was an ensemble that I just couldn't believe sort of happened organically, but uh, Laura Sabo was a bass clarinet player mm. and Kathleen Maniachi played bassoon. Oh, wow. And the two of them were good friends and they would come to my shows and just kept throwing it out there like, if you ever want to try, you know, woodwinds. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, were you playing in Vera? It was guitar. That was guitar, okay. Yeah. And I just had uh, another chamber group called the Cat Lovers that had disbanded because people moved away and stuff. Because they stopped loving cats. <laughs> Never. They ran off with their kitties. Uh, <laughs> but like two of the four people in the band besides me moved away. Okay. So um, it took a little while. Uh, but I did finally start this group, and it was uh, the two woodwind players and Peter Adams played violin. Okay. Uh, and Sharon Udaw played piano. She's a counterfeit Madison in Columbus now. She's a what? She's in. She is counterfeit Madison of, okay. of Columbus, Ohio <laughs> these gotcha. days. Um, so I had this just really great group of musicians um, a lot of musical education there and everything and I was having to write arrangements for the first time in my life and actually get it down on paper yeah. and Sharon Udaw did that so it was just a it was a I guess a more serious project and I took my bandmates seriously as far as their time and everything yeah I mean, we were definitely friends and had fun together but it felt like serious work yeah. in some ways and around that time you know I was playing a lot of shows around Cincinnati and I was trying to be fairly selective about which ones I wanted them to have to get roped into doing Okay. and I was getting some really nice opportunities so we, we got to play a few times for really great crowds and great venues and stuff um I was asked to join a show at the Northside Tavern. Mm. Um, you've played there, I'm saying. I have, yeah. 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 And it's a half block from where I used to live, so I was there. I played there once a month, probably, for a few years. Now, at this time, were you living in Cincinnati mm -hmm. or here? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was right there in the neighborhood. Okay. So it definitely, it was as much of a home base for shows as I've ever had anywhere, probably. Okay. Um, but I had a hard time getting booked in the back room, like I, because I was the guy that played in the front on Tuesday okay. nights. Gotcha. I sort of was, I guess, pigeonholed into that. So, right. I, we find we did get an opportunity to play back there a few times, but this may have been the first, um, at least with the picnic. But we were invited to join a bill with Peter Adams, who was in my band who had a really great uh, indie rock sort of thing going on at the time. Um, and his stuff is always just of a quality. You know? yeah. uh, my friends from a band called Fanatics and Traitors, and then Molly Sullivan. Mm. Um, yeah. So it was just a really sharp lineup. And it was, I think it was a Thursday night. So, you know, it's not Friday or Saturday, but it's a good night of the week. Yeah. Great room. 
this guy Doug Krebs was running sound, I'm pretty sure, who is one of my favorite sound guy okay. mixer masters. So everything was lined up for this to just be a really great show. Yeah. And half a block from home, you know, it wouldn't even be any trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so everything was lined up for this to just be a really great show. Um, and I don't know if, I don't think flyers were made or anything. It was just one of those, it was a local show with a bunch of lo great local people that yeah. were getting people out at shows. So we expected good things. And then the day of the show, I believe Sharon, uh, the piano player, um, she texted me and said, OMG, MTV wants to film us tonight. Oh, okay. And I thought, okay, what? Weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> being the optimist, I thought maybe they're doing a scene report on Cincinnati. And, you know, Molly Sullivan was young and had this really cool pop band. Yeah. And she did seem to have her uh, publicity, you know, more on point than I did at that point. So yeah. just thought maybe somebody has buzz behind them. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people were talking about it and stuff. And then it turned out that they were filming an episode of one of their reality shows there. <laughs> oh. Taking the Stage. Okay. Which I haven't watched MTV in many years for more than a minute. Uh, but it was Nick Lachey? Lachey? Oh, yeah, 98 Degrees? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was his Le brainchild, Le apparently. Nick Jessica, Lachey. Jessica Simpson's previous husband. Wait, what's his name? Nick Lachey. And what's 98 Degrees? It's a, a boy, boy band. band. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah. I remember that. Like, NSYNC -ish. Good thing I'm here. Yeah. 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 Late 90s, early 2000s, I guess. Okay. And he's from Cincinnati, and he invented this reality show that picked a talented young SCPA, School of Creative and Performing Arts in Cincinnati. Okay. They... <laughs> found this young lady, I think she was 16, and she wanted to be some sort of pop singer, I guess, and that was her dream and what she was working towards at this creative and performing arts school. Okay. Uh, so she was the star of the show, and so now her band was inserted on the bill. <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> wait, okay, wait, wait, wait. And this happened the day of, like maybe, oh maybe it was in the works for weeks before. But the first I heard of it, was but the your day piano of the show. player texted you and said MTV wants to film, and you assumed they wanted to film what was already happening. I thought that for which, about two hours, right? Which makes sense. Yeah. I, yeah. That's I've, that's what I would think yeah. if I heard. Yeah. I wouldn't think MTV wants to create a different show <laughs> where the show is happening. But so, were they talking to Sharon about this, or I think she just heard through the grapevine through the venue. Like I don't. The North I don't even remember. Okay. Um, maybe somebody from the tavern emailed me that day to say, "This is happening," and nobody asked if it was cool, and I wasn't put out about that. Okay. And I'll just go ahead and say, like, this is leading up to the worst show ever. I don't hold. <laughs> I don't hold it against the Northside Tavern for a second. Okay. That mm -hmm. this happened. Um, I'm sure they were paid, and what the hell? I, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, it wasn't a, a giant show for any of us. Right. It was just going to be good. Yeah. And I don't think 
they necessarily knew what they were getting themselves into either. Um, but we had to get there a little earlier, I remember. So I went over at like 6.30 or 7, and there were all these signs posted in the windows, these giant laminated signs saying, by entering the premise, you're agreeing that you're going to be filmed and all this stuff. They had taken these... They, I don't know if they installed light fixtures, but there were these giant white globes hanging from the ceilings okay. well, that weren't normally there. Right. And it was making for film-friendly lighting, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the whole place just looked and felt weird. It was yeah. like this subdued fluorescent lighting. Right. Uh, yeah. But that was the front room, and then you know you go through the pool room, and then you get to the back room, and you get back there, and I if I remember right, there was somebody with a clipboard at the gate there requiring your signature if you wanted to hang out. Okay. Because then you were actually releasing your image or whatever. Right. Um, so that was weird because this was, I didn't drink there a lot, but it was my neighborhood bar. Right. Uh, and it was a very comfortable, kind of predictable environment. Right. So that upset me. <laughs> not really it was just like wow this is going to be interesting I was still optimistic at that point I think yeah. um, and there were just people everywhere people running around with big snakes of wires and just cameras and you couldn't it, it wasn't it didn't feel like a show venue it felt like you were on a set Right. and I don't remember how the timing exactly went down but the show started early yeah. and I'm fairly sure the the star of the show played first. Okay. Um, and I hung out for a little bit. I'm not going to talk much just smack about what she did or anything. Like, even at that point, I kind of just worried for her. Um, like, and I don't know. I've never read any exposés. Maybe she had a wonderful experience. Um, but it, it, I've just heard about those reality show experiences, and yeah. I can imagine being 16 and saying, hell yes, I'll do that. And right. perhaps having a disillusioning, if not scarring, experience. But I don't know, maybe that. But that was my main thought. I didn't think the music was too interesting, but I am usually not into the band playing uh, okay. yeah. anywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed for a little bit. There was a crowd, uh, and it was, a, you could tell there were students and stuff. They definitely made it look like a show and everything. And at that point, I did start to get, I think I was already having this thought, but it's like, whatever they're going to film as far as us goes, like, I'm just going to be used as a quick cut to legitimize this concert she played. Yeah. Like they were came into an environment that had this ready made cool lineup yeah. with a you know, diverse performers. So it was gonna make a nice really like one and a half second montage like and there's a dude with a beard with a bassoon player <laughs> and there's a black girl playing piano that has dreads. Yeah. And, you know, I, I knew I have watched enough MTV to know yeah. like, <laughs> okay. what I was being set up for. And I think at that point, it was just like, okay, cool. I'll take a picture of a TV screen and say I was on MTV. You know, 
I wasn't stoked about it, but I wasn't sweating it either. Just, and there did seem to be more people than maybe I was expecting, but you couldn't tell, like, there were 30 crew people there. Right. Um, <coughs> her show, as I recall, took forever. <laughs> like, and so, long story short, the show kept getting pushed back and pushed back, and we were the last band of the night. Oh, okay. Uh, I do remember Molly Sullivan playing at a really reasonable hour, and I think they wanted to get her immediately after. Right. Because she had this really smart kind of pop band going on yeah. at the time, and she was a great performer. And uh, and you could tell, like, this was an opportunity for her, I thought. Like, it seemed like she yeah. was in her mm -hmm. element. Right. Uh, and this is 2009? Something like that. Okay. She was very young. And yeah, just, I was just—I didn't realize she'd been doing her thing that long. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, mm -hmm. I played in her band briefly up just a couple years ago. Yeah. Even back then, I mean, she was strikingly good as yeah. a performer, and to be so young. Yeah, like, I don't doubt it. There was, you know, as much buzz about her as people get around Cincinnati. Right. Yeah. So I was happy for her, and it seemed like this makes sense. I yeah. hope they got some good footage of her, and maybe she'll get four seconds of screen time. Right. <laughs> or maybe she'll become a character on the show, and she'll mentor this young woman. <laughs> you can fabricate that if Nick Lachey decides to. Um, Lachey, sorry. No, I don't know. I could that be wrong. Lachey is right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I feel like you're, you're talking like an expert here. <laughs> like, uh, Nick Lachey. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm 99%, 98% <laughs> sure that Nick Lachey was not in, in attendance that night. Okay. I don't know how much he actually worked on the show, but... But he was the face. The he thing. was the name brand behind yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, that... It, it just kept dragging on, and I remember going home at one point. Like, I was bored because... And it was purely because of the crew and gear and setting stuff up right like things just she kept. wasn't just playing a show where they were filming they were like setting up like shots they were i like, guess i didn't hang out long enough but all i know is it just took forever okay yeah. um so uh fanatics and traitors played i don't remember much but it was just like really really fucking late and yeah. as i'm as the time is dragging on i'm noticing like the crew is leaving yeah. Yeah. Like, there's not going to be any cool shots of me. Like, <laughs> right. I'll be surprised if they. I mean, it was clear that they were getting the hell out of there. They spent their time on <clears throat> her thing, and then, yeah. And uh, by the time I played, I'm pretty sure it was about 1230, okay. and it should have been 1045, 11. Okay. It may have been even one. Like it was uh, yeah. absurdly late. My wind, woodwind players left before we played because okay. they, one of them was getting a master's degree, I think, and one was getting PhD, and they both worked jobs. And, right. Yeah. And they had had enough, and I wasn't sore at them for wanting to leave. Uh, <laughs> and that would. My memory about this is hazy. Uh, Sharon and Peter, I'm pretty sure, were both still there. So I'm guessing I played some with Sharon, the piano player. Yeah. Uh, 
but I got up to play and there was there were uh, 12 people in a room that holds 150 right. uh, optimistically yeah. I was expecting 40 or 50 people to be there right. um, and uh, I was playing and there was one camera guy that had to stay behind just and, in case <laughs> well he and he was ex- instructed to keep filming the performers yeah um, so I played a couple of songs and this guy was just leaning against a pole just bored off his ass I assumed yeah. and um, I was really salty at that point I wasn't drinking or anything thank god uh, <laughs> it was a long like I was hanging out for six hours before I played yeah. um, but I was pretty sour about it and I think I told you know I told everybody I lost half my band because the filming took so long and for those of you that stayed I appreciate it and I was reminded that I thanked MTV for Polly Shore. I'd <laughs> I'd forgotten all about that, but I was emailing with Peter just trying to get my facts straight, and he reminded me of that. And I don't know how many songs I let the guy film, but I think it was maybe two. And I finally just told him, like, please stop filming me. I have decided that I don't agree to being filmed. I don't want you to film me, please. And he kind of looked up from his eyepiece thing, and then he just went back to filming. And I said, no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Into the microphone, and it, as I recall, like the 12 people in the room was... <laughs> you know, hear a glass breaking somewhere in the distance. Um, and he did, he took the camera down, and then he stood there and watched the entire show and somebody later told me, like, that guy really liked your music. I was like, that's great. <laughs> um, I, I don't regret... He was he was a local guy. Yeah. You know, he was hired, contracted out for the day, and he yeah. was the poor guy that had to stay the entire night, right. or maybe he volunteered or whatever. Yeah, maybe he loved your music and was like, if someone's got to stay, let it be me. And I don't... He didn't know my stuff before, and okay. my one regret is I did want to go to him and, like, as a human being, I wanted to say like, uh, no hard feelings. Yeah, nothing it, personal. You're, I realize you're not MTV, right? And <laughs> I don't hate you, and I appreciate you listening or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it happened uh, very naturally. Just asking him not to film me, it didn't. Uh, a few very drunk people flipped out after the show and told me what a cool thing it was to do. <laughs> um, and like fellow musicians just saying like it occurs to me like I never would have done that because I'm such a whore like I would just be praying <laughs> that right. they would have uh, put me on MTV for a half second or something. Right. But yeah so it went from being a very exciting show to being just dreadful and grinding in a pretty particular way like I've never right that's a unique bad show definitely story. <laughs> I do remember being in the green room and just being surrounded by MTV gear and my truck was parked out back I did drive there because I was carrying stuff um, and there was this loop I think it was a rope just covered in clamps 
like woodworking, holding yeah. a light clamp, and just yeah. every size, all these different colors. And I mean, it looked it's $500 worth of clamps. Right. And I was so fighting the urge to <laughs> just take it and throw it in the back of my truck. Is this later on? This is like after you knew that they they ruined your show, and you're like, I'm going to get compensated it, as it was for this. As show. I'm sitting in the green room trying to tune up, and there's just shit everywhere, right. and people acting like I'm in their way. Right. Uh, so did you ever? You probably didn't follow up, but you don't know if that show was on I never like, if you if they did use some of the footage of you or anything like that I've never looked it up yeah probably should after all these years I'm I'm right. proud to say I never looked it up like it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not something I've obsessed over or anything yeah. um you know it was a Thursday night show in Cincinnati so ultimately it's <laughs> dustbin of history but it's interesting I love I love this about Cincinnati that because it's one of those towns that has this ethos of like there's not pretension yeah. about like being a big deal and so even if you're playing like the hottest show in town there's there's a kind of humility that I love about Cincinnati where it's like um I'm trying to remember I saw you know Austin has like keep Austin weird yeah and I saw it's somewhere I think it's like in over the Rhine where it, Somebody had a poster that said like, "Keep Cincinnati gross," or like, <laughs> or, like keeps it was like keep Cincinnati nasty or something like that. Yeah. There was like this picture of like a decaying pig. It was like, this, <laughs> it was this disgusting <laughs> thing, but it always stuck in my head of of just uh, I just love it. I just have this these all these good associations of that's good of uh, glad to hear. Well, it's just you know I mean. You know some great people there. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, the Y kids are are there that I love, and yeah. Nolly, and I love Lung. They're like one of my favorite bands now. But they like Lung is a perfect example of that. Just like they're doing their thing, they're really good at it, with like no pretension, with no attempt to like be more sort yeah. of. I don't know. Uh, to try to pretend there's something they're not, you know. There's, there's no hype. It's just, it's. Just I'm really glad. Music. I'm glad I went there. Like now that I'm in Chicago and, uh, it's you know a different monster here. Yeah. Um, like I grew up in South Carolina. Oh, okay. And literally, where I went to high school had five stoplights in the entire county mm-hmm. so there was I didn't know what it, a music scene was even like to be a part of right. by any stretch until you know I was 20 and moved to Cincinnati and I just thought big cities were big cities and that's where exciting things happen and people make lots of money and they get famous and stuff <laughs> and, uh, yes <laughs> it, it's funny to realize that or to put it that way. Um, but I was definitely the sort of artist that needed years of just being ignored and not chasing anything except for a quality thing that I could present. Yeah. And that's what I guess I always wanted to do. And I think I would have had a lot harder of a time if I was in a place like Chicago where there is some sort of sense of these golden carrots that right. 
people that you know might get a chomp on. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that being said, there is, I've seen some really silly, competitive, you know, bike, backbiting, jealousy stuff in Cincinnati, too. Okay. Um, and it just, it's, uh, you know, usually people that are young enough that it's forgivable. <laughs> yeah, and I and I don't want to, I mean, I don't know any place that's, you know, perfect as far as that kind of thing, but I, I just mean that there's a balance. Towns like Cleveland or Cincinnati or that are especially like Rust Belt yeah. towns where there's like a, sometimes a really cool scene, mm-hmm. but there's this, there's this balance of like, what are we doing? Like, you know, the biggest thing in this town is still just, it's still this, the biggest thing in this town. Right. And it doesn't have that kind of, I, I just think of Chicago as a bit of this, but especially like New York or San Francisco or LA where sometimes you, you try to get a show and then people act like they're doing you a favor that you've got a show. And even if the mm-hmm. show's garbage, yeah. you're supposed to thank them that you got the, the privilege of playing in the original, you know, pianos or CBGBs or something like just because the, the place has a name yeah um, and it's rarely any good <laughs> but it's just all, all yeah. right most of the time I loved there was a stretch of years in Cincinnati where it was I guess uh, yeah, strictly speaking I was a local musician I didn't tour much yeah um, but there was just a steady stream of invitations and there was just a uh, you know, I made some money doing it. Uh, it was, uh, I felt as close uh, to being like a folk artist. Yeah. And, you know, the, I guess not folk as a genre, but just right, right. that as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved it, and I miss it sometimes. Um, How is that different, would you say, like your time in Chicago? I guess it's just the size more than anything. There's just mm. this feeling of overwhelming quantity of music. Um, I see people in the same roles here, though, and I think I probably could do that. You know, you just there's 20 scenes here or whatever, and right. you just become that guy with the guitar within one scene, and you know, people follow what you do, and yeah, um, mm-hmm. you sell your. 20 copies of a cassette or something (laughs) as long as you're not trying to make a living that's to me one of the most honorable positions to hold in a community yeah Mm -hmm. if you're doing it because you love the music you know yeah god it sounds corny but uh, yeah I, i think about all the time like this the idea that music has been sort of taken from people in some ways just by the notion of celebrity and mm-hmm. right uh, you know Jimmy's picking up a guitar he thinks he's Bon Jovi or something like uh, right. maybe he just wants to be Jimmy with a guitar right. Right. right that is a big shift that's happened like in the 20th century where people only I mean a large percentage of the population only sees musicians on TV under big lights right um, right I don't know if I was telling Mary this, but uh, I one time I was coming um, back from Canada, and I just played a few shows in Canada. And usually, 
in the this has changed now, but at the time going into Canada, I'd have to lie and not say I was playing shows or I'd, I'd have some story because I didn't have a work permit, right? right? But then on the way back, I would generally tell the truth because it's a different set of border cops and <laughs> yeah. I, just, I generally feel like if I don't have to lie, it's better to mm-hmm. better to not get caught in a lie. So I would just, you know, someone did say, what were you doing? I, was, I played a show in Toronto and Peterborough and, and Montreal, whatever. And um, just a couple shows. And coming back, the border guard guy, you know, asks me that. And I tell him. He goes, what do you do for a living? And mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm, I'm a musician. And he looks me up and down and he goes, you don't look like a musician. <laughs> <laughs> or he said, you don't look like a professional musician. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I was like, wow. I really had to bite my tongue also. He's this like jarhead kind of like yeah it's like my sequin jacket is at the cleaners i really wondered like what music does he listen to that he has some idea you know is he i I don't think it was gangster rap but you know maybe he's like oh i didn't have enough chains or or i don't have a grill or what what do you think was he american oh yeah he was an american guy i think i'm guessing this is a total total speculation but i i was thinking maybe he's into like hair metal or like like rock star rock stars like you know? bon jovi yeah they would be wearing like leather pants or, in, <laughs> or something leather jackets you said musician not i'm a rock star <laughs> yeah it I'm would be star. way better if, what do you do for a living i'm a rock star obviously <laughs> um, yeah i just i mean all i could say to the guy was like do you know a lot of professional musicians and he said no, and I was like, "Well, this is what we look like. <laughs> Just look like people who are poor, <laughs> walking around with a backpack full of money all the time." <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but I just yeah, I think of that too. Or I think what you're saying as far as a lot of people now they they have this association and they they watch The Voice or something and they think that's yeah. that's music right there. That's or they'll see you play a show for 200 people or something and like this is I don't think my aunt ever said this but this just sounds like something an aunt might say to somebody it's like this was great I really hope you're gonna make it someday right right <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god yeah <laughs> that makes me this is the biggest it. crowd I've ever played for. <laughs> <laughs> right um I was in Texas one time visiting my friend Jeff I think we were recording together and uh, he was doing something like maybe setting up some mics or something and I took a little just walk around the block and I think I stopped in a little like some little quickie mart to get a drink and the guy it's a, it was a small enough town it was like a little I think it was in Alvin, Texas and it was small enough that the guy working at the cash register knew that I didn't live there because he'd never seen me before. Sure. <laughs> and he was super nice and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You're not from here, right? I'm like, no, no, I'm just visiting my buddy playing some music. He's like, oh, you're playing music? Cool. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, just recording at his house, you know, I think he, he was working on a record and I was like adding some little part or something. Nothing too major. And then he asked, he's like, can I, can I find you on on MTV or he said something like like it's fun you on TV mm-hmm. and I was like no no that's not really what I'm doing he's like and he, he I remember he responded as if I was 
as if I was bummed about that. <laughs> and he's oh, like, right. he's like, don't worry, you'll you'll be on TV one day. <laughs> he's also telling me this, knowing nothing about my music, nothing about me. But he was telling me, you'll be on TV one day, whether it's with your music or committing a crime. Right. Or something. <laughs> that's, that's how. <laughs> someday, I'm sure the cops you'll will get arrest there. you. And, uh, <laughs> that's worry. funny. Actually, a friend once texted me and was like. Hey, I'm watching a documentary and I think you're in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was for me getting arrested. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Um, yeah. Well, so when Occupy was sort uh-huh. of blowing up, when that was like very new, I went, I was t- touring and there was an Occupy event at the, was it the House of Congress in DC? And I, so I went there and I just was like protesting. And there was some, uh, I was confused. I didn't know anything about the event. I just sort of like saw it online and decided to go because I had a day off in DC and thought I'm there. I should participate. But, um, I didn't fully understand that there was one lawn in front of Congress that had a per, we had a permit to be there. I also did not understand at the time the whole, like having a permit to protest thing. I, I, that had not occurred to me at all. Um, so the, I, at some point, some other group had broken off and gone onto the the other lawn, the, the unpermitted yeah. lawn. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't know if they were doing it because the idea of having a permit to protest is stupid, yeah. or if they just accidentally did. It. I have no no idea. But there was. I was sort of just like standing around and I was really actually about to leave because I'd been there for a little while and it was like, cool, we're just standing around and I think I did this for long enough and it's not going to do anything. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you now. But then there was sort of this commotion I heard over in the distance and I went over there to see what was up. I saw a bunch of cops um, and a lot of people were sort of running over there and I thought, oh, if if there's something shady going down with the cops, like it's good to be there and like, yeah. be a witness and like either try to stop it or film it or something, you know? And I went over there and yeah, there was these cops were sort of like kettling this group that had gone on the wrong lawn. But again, I didn't, I uh. didn't know yet what was happening. I didn't know that there was on the wrong lawn or whatever. <laughs> and they were trying to just kettle them. And this guy, somebody either, it was weird. There was like a sidewalk between the two lawns that was a little bit lowered. Mm-hmm. It's probably like a foot and a half uh, below the lawn itself. And he, I don't know if he fell or jumped or what, but, but he like, I think he fell off the edge of the lawn onto the sidewalk. And this other cop just tackled him, just like a linebacker. Just Actually, I don't know anything about football. I don't know if the linebacker does the tackling. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> Good. Uh, but just, just tackled him and without, I didn't really, this was not something I thought through. It was just a reaction. I like took a step forward and was like, hey, that's excessive. Uh-huh. But in stepping forward, I was apparently crossing a police line yeah. uh. that was not marked, <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that the police had decided was a police line. The line between the permitted okay. uh, lawn and the sidewalk. All right. Um, so immediately I was then cuffed 
and put in a panty wagon. <laughs> and I was absolutely indignant. I was, I was like, I didn't do shit. If I'm going to get arrested, I want to, like, punch a cop in the face or something. Like, I want to do a real thing, not just say, hey, isn't that excessive? You know? It's the most polite thing. Yeah. Um, so I was, but then I was pissed and I was yelling at the crowd because I'm now being arrested and everyone's just standing there going, boo. (laughs) And I, and it's just one of those moments where I think like, this doesn't have to happen. There are thousands of us here. And if we were actually organized, we could keep anybody from being like taken away by the cops, but we're not. And I'm, and I'm not there with anybody. I didn't have any kind of friends there. I was there by myself. So I, but I was just like indignant and pissed off as they're like taking me away, and I'm like yelling at people. <laughs> and and the video that's in this, in this somebody filmed it and apparently gave it. I don't remember who did the documentary, but it was like on oh it was on RT. It was like uh, was it Russian Russian television or whatever? Um, yeah. Have it, you seen it? Huh? Have you seen it? Yeah. Well, they they. They, I think they sent me the link to like the. It was on Netflix. Oh, oh this cool. documentary. So, and it's just for like two seconds, and they're just talking about you know state oppression, state repression, yeah. and and like criminalizing dissent. And then there was this like video of me being hauled off. Maybe you for an album cover. Yelling, now. yelling. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Take a picture of it on a really shitty TV set. It probably yeah. look awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just laughed. Yeah, but anyway, so I've been on TV, so <laughs> I pretty did. pretty it. big deal. <laughs> I've made it, Auntie. <laughs> I eventually made it, but I don't know this this golden carrot thing that you talk about. I think that's that is such a danger, and and certainly there's more of that in town like Chicago than there is. In Cincinnati, but also I feel like now, wherever you live, that's that's kind of the. I guess yeah, we're all on the internet and. Yeah. There's. Well, even like my buddy Jeff that I was talking about, who I was recording with that time, he was in this band called By the End of Tonight, uh, who they were like right out of high school and they sent this demo. To temporary residents and got signed. And that never happens. I mean, they're the only unsolicited demo that temporary residence has ever signed. But, but the, it happened. There was a guy in near Cincinnati that had that happen with Sub Pop. Okay. Same thing. He just wow. sent them a disc, <laughs> and somehow or another, it wound up in one of the owner's cars. Yeah. And mm-hmm. at some point, it's just like, what is this I've been listening to? Right. Like, wow. And those stories are. Uh, really cool and give people hope I guess but then it just creates this um, yeah I worry about it now I mean I was happy for my friends when it happened for them but yeah it also gave them a really unrealistic yeah it's like if somebody in a social circle wins the lottery right Right. it's gonna create weird dynamics uh, right yeah and that's that's the kind of thing where I worry that because the lottery is a perfect example where that's a fairly intentional uh, injection of hope. Like, that's that's the yeah. kind of thing... I mean, it sounds very conspiracy theory here, but I just mean there's there's things like that where 
we recycle these stories of the very, very, very rare right. situation <laughs> where someone poor then gets a bunch of money, and it kind of keeps a lot of people dreaming the dream and yeah. hoping right. that, that that could be me. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be the lottery, but also just the idea that you're going to like come to America from a third world country and work hard and then you'll and then you'll be a millionaire or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. we have there's so many stories about that there's like yeah again if you go beyond the actual stories of like the, the lottery which are presumably real um, but then if you look at Hollywood or something like the number of stories about the rags to riches sure. compared to how often that actually happens mm. and you those stories where it doesn't happen don't get written about in yeah, magazines. Yeah, we don't, we don't make movies Unless it goes that. spectacularly bad. Right. <laughs> and that's a different kind of lottery <laughs> win. Like, we can right. only, so many of us can turn into serial killers or something. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I think about, like, as a high school kid reading Rolling Stone and stuff. Like, yeah. It's mm-hmm. just like, so this is what you do. You go to the city and you start your band right. and then these things happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're on your way. Right. Uh, and if you spend any time in New York or LA or something like those cities are positively overcrowded with people who moved there yeah. hoping to make it whether it's in music or acting or modeling or something you know that's that's like half of LA it's yeah. like models and singers and actresses and actors trying to make it yeah I'm too old <laughs> Chicago is, is, is as far as I'm going as far as like the metropolis yeah the culture center and people do that in Chicago too but what I love I love Chicago I mean this is also true of these other big cities but Chicago has a little bit of that on the surface but yeah, then there's totally this substantial mm-hmm. more interesting the musical scene that and so in so many scenes, like mm-hmm. you were saying too, that you're you're probably not going to be known throughout the city. Like that's just not yeah. going to happen. You don't come here to be the biggest band in Chicago. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know. But it's, it it ever ever amazes me. Like I've got a few local things that I mean I put them on any pedestal like as yeah. as tall as Bob Dylan's pedestal or yeah. whatever and to meet people that have never seen them that have lived here all their lives right. and I don't blame them I get it you just missed it but uh, I just can't fathom that <laughs> in some ways yeah but I think I mean yeah I love that about the city now that, that you know there's like all these it's fragmented enough that you could live here forever and not know about this or that and that just means there's always still more to discover that is for sure the first show that um, we first played at Meet Cute was that the I think that was the first time I think so you and I played together and Ohm played that show like Ohm's blowing up now and I think that was their first show it was like I want to say it was their second or first I think you might be right maybe it was the first but I remember it was like they had just started Uh Um, they, they're spelling their name different at the time. I remember oh. it was like H O M M E. Yeah. Uh, I I fully expect them to be 
people that, that don't have time to return my calls like within the yeah. year. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I hope so. They're really good. Yeah, I mean <laughs> uh, they're super rad. Um but even then, like they'll probably still be able to go about their business in Chicago and not be like recognized by people at the deli or something, you know. <laughs> like <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, blowing up, I don't know what it means anymore, like I definitely hope that people are happy each step of the way yeah. and not wasting those exciting times, you know, clamoring yeah. for whatever the next step on the rung is. Yeah, and that's what I have faith in those guys. They're a good example where, like, they love what they do. They're making awesome music and they're not, yeah. they're not just trying to, like, right. get to the next level. They're mm-hmm. just... I think they're being smart. Like, they have management and they've been, like trying to do things where it will work out for them yeah. but not not having that be the focus I don't know how anybody makes music playing music makes money playing music quite the bit of writer's block I guess I spent maybe three years really thinking that music was going to be a source of income someday Yeah, and I wasn't making art or anything else I was just doing music and uh, I wasn't happy okay like those were mm-hmm. because you were trying to get to a level that and I, I guess just it's a really uh, pretty bleak outlook in some ways as far as you know your chances of and it mm-hmm. requires a certain uh, energy and I don't want to say cutthroatness but I mean just ambition Sure. Uh, and my ambition has always been just in the work. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like I'm uh, singing my own praises or something, but it's really not an altogether good quality to have nowadays. Uh, mm-hmm. It would be nice if I could balance it out with a little bit more. Hey, look at me, everybody. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. really don't do nearly enough of that like there's so much since I started the video stuff like there's just so much to do and so much work involved and the work is all I want to do yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a good place to be though it's Mm -hmm. there's worse places yeah maybe someday I'll be sick of working and think I'm gonna make money now and (laughs) spend the rest of my life just promoting what I've already made but well, so, I mean, I lived in Chicago in, briefly in 2008, and when I left here, I, and I don't, I, to this day, I don't know if this was right, but I just, in my ability to sort of, like, figure out, okay, I want to play music and I don't want to do anything else, mm-hmm. I thought, I can't do that and live in a place, like, unless you're, like, a studio musician, which I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I lived in Nashville, and I, I saw lots of that and just thought, like... Yeah. No, if I get to where I'm playing on records that I don't even like, that just seems like a way to ruin music for myself, and I, I didn't want to do it. Some people do that and are amazing at it, and they have that ability to switch and say, like, yeah. this is a job, and then mm-hmm. this is this is what I want, and this is my creative outlet, um, and I just didn't necessarily trust my ability to, to do that. Although, as a side note, I guess we all do that to some degree. There's definitely gigs that I'll play where 
this has a good guarantee, and that's pretty much why I'm playing it. Sure. There's mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be gigs like that. But I, I think for me, it's always been a matter of when it's temporary, when it's a one-night thing, mm-hmm. it's easier to say, okay, I can do this. This is not what I... This is not my ideal, but it's one time, and so... The difference is, I mean, you if you want to, and if you're in a place with the work, you can do that seven nights a week. It may not be the same gig over and over, but right. just, um, my girlfriend plays cello, and she makes her living yeah. playing music. Mm-hmm. And doing, I'm curious, like in what context, like all over the place. I mean, I was like, does she play classical music? Does she? Play yeah, she's classically trained. Like and she doesn't or? do you know, orchestra stuff very much, but it's lots and lots of weddings okay. and lots of studio work. Yeah. Well, yeah, but so that, so I mean, there's folks that can do it and I think that's, Chicago's a town where you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I had it in me to do that. And so the only, the only path I could see for myself to be playing music for as a living was to be on tour all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love it, but there's it's still it's still a choice I made under I guess it sounds dramatic to say under duress but like I I didn't see a lot of options right like okay the options are either work a job that I feel lukewarm about and then do music in my spare time lots of people do that and I thought well I, I could do that I would rather do music all the time and so what are the options and I really thought okay either studio like gig musician or be on tour and never stop <laughs> and those were my choices and I you know I, I chose the latter um, how long's it been? Uh, about ten and a half years and the longest you've stayed put is a month or two or uh, a couple weeks really? yeah although recently for like the first time in this whole time I I was in Oakland for like most of a month like I was in and out of Oakland but I was in Oakland for most of June didn't sign any leases though I definitely didn't (laughs) sign any leases but that was even like I made it a rule at some point where I didn't let myself stay in a place for longer than two weeks because I sort of thought you can't say you're still on tour if you stop you you know and after my 10 year mark I was like eh I'm gonna go ahead and just if I if I need to stop for yeah. longer than I will but uh that's pretty amazing and I think about you uh like I'm sure you get this but it's um and I'm I'm careful not to over romanticize you know what sure. it's like and everything I've I've lived out of a vehicle for three or four months once and uh, I wasn't necessarily on tour either. I was just yeah. traveling, um, yeah. playing music by the campfire. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's uh, you're you're a beacon of light and hope is what I'm getting around to say. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty remarkable and uh, a noble pursuit. I mean, I, I love it, but again, I just yeah, and you know, it's just I'm saying too, if if there were more options who knows what I would do yeah. if there was mm-hmm. other ways to not have a job that I don't want to do I'd probably that's, you know, <laughs> you know. that's interesting to hear I've, I've always kind of wondered like you know, just what you're talking about how much is by choice and 
I guess once you start, you know, how do you stop? I, I just know from my considerably limited touring experience, like, there is a, something pretty addictive about, you know, the process. And every time a tour is over, I'm elated that it's over, but then, mm -hmm. like, very quickly, I kind of get, uh, I miss just the feeling of adventure and a yeah. week a week on the road feels so much longer than a week mm -hmm. at home working a job or sure. hanging out or yeah and I guess what I mean is if if I mean every choice we make there's it's among the choices that we that we can see you know that we have and, and maybe sometimes those choices are limited by our own perspective or you know sometimes those choices are objectively limited yeah. um, but if if it were an option if I didn't have to worry about eating mm -hmm. and like if money wasn't an issue I would probably tour like somewhere between half and three quarters of the time yeah and then spend and then mostly because it would be lovely to book shows and then be on tour and then book shows and then be on tour instead of always oh. booking shows while on tour. I don't know how the fuck you do that. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but I mean, that's the part where it's just, I'm always behind on booking. I can't think of the last time I was caught up on booking, and it's a constant source of stress yeah. that is just part of the gig. I, I don't know how to not what? do that part, but, um, but if I didn't have to, I would gladly give it up, you know. I've tried many times to get a booking agent. It's never worked out. Um, I'm still open to the possibility. Get at me. Get out <laughs> <there>. <laughs> you want to book shows for me? Uh, but it's also because I'm on the road all the time. It's it's more than really any booking agent I've ever met wants to take on. So <laughs> even when I've talked to booking agents, it's about like supplementing my my booking habit, not not <laughs> not, <laughs> not uh, taking it over entirely. Um, do you have uh, a town or somewhere that feels more like a home base than anywhere else? No, not really. Not like where your parents live, or do you have a storage locker somewhere? No. When I when I started out, so I lived in Chicago before yeah. I went on permanent tour, and I had a storage unit here yeah. over on Armitage, um, and that was a funny lesson in like I would come back to Chicago and look at all the stuff that I was paying whatever it was <laughs> like $20 a month or I, I don't remember what it was but it wasn't a lot but it was still like this is stuff I clearly don't need because I haven't seen it in a year and it's just taking up space and I'm paying for it yep. and I had a lot of books and CDs and records and all this stuff and especially the first time I left I didn't know how long I was going to be gone and so I put a lot of stuff in storage. And then I came back through, and there was a couch. <laughs> it was the stupidest thing. <laughs> there was a couch that I had that I had probably bought for, like, $30. And was I was paying $20 a month to keep it there. You know, it was so stupid. So, like, okay. And it, maybe it had been six months or something. So this was now, you know... $150 couch or something. <laughs> so I, I cleaned it out. I got over it. The first time I came back through, I think it was six or eight months or something later, 
I got rid of a lot of more stuff, but then still had a really hard time getting rid of books and music. And so I would pare it down and I'd get a smaller, yeah. you know, less expensive storage unit. I did that a couple times. And within, I want to say a year and a half, two years, I, I finally was like, okay, it is ridiculous to be paying Mm-hmm. Any any amount of money, <clears throat> stuff to just be sitting. So I got rid of most of my stuff, and then found places that would let me stash a little bit of stuff, and then eventually, eventually got. It took a couple years, but got to where now everything I own is just in my van. Oh, I envy that. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, there's choices. There's you got options. Like I love listening. To vinyl records, but I don't do that in my band. Right. So, yeah. You yeah. know, I don't. I got rid of all my, basically all the all the vinyl that doesn't have my name on it now. Like I, <laughs> I got rid of. We've been living here at this place for seven years now. Yeah, and that's the longest I've lived anywhere since I was fourteen. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten pretty good at you know having to move every two years, so I kind of remain conscious about just how much you're accumulating yeah but as a visual artist uh, that's really uh, really hard yeah (laughs) right I've got you know at least a closet full of art that I can't seem to sell (laughs) I I can't get rid of is the point yeah I do slowly but um yeah, and this place is going to be for sale soon. We just found out. So. Oh, oh, really? Bummer. Yeah, it's bad. Like the person's selling the building? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've been, uh, our rent is, I was saying this yesterday, like it's the sort of cheap where it's, you feel like you're getting away with something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'm still paying. Like, they've really gotten to me. Yeah. Right. Someday they're going to come knocking and say, I owe $3,000 in back rent. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, these hotshot guys with clipboards came through. It was just like, how much do you pay? Holy shit. <laughs> like, oh, our days are numbered. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that or it's going to be a 70% increase in rent or something. Mm-hmm. It's deeply upsetting. Oh, that sucks. If only you had gotten your shot on MTV... Right. You'd be rich by now. You'd have your own show. I had to go and sass the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Put the ego in check just to get on a TV. <laughs> Thanks, Matt, for being a part of this. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. This episode of Worst Show Ever was made possible by the Patreon pledges of Dewana Flyman, Meg Roberts, Christina Poez, and Evan Quayberg. If you'd like to support this endeavor, please go to patreon.com slash worst show ever.